Blog Talk Radio. I'm a truth terrorist. I'm a knowledge gangster. I'm a black history hitman. I'm a lie killer urban gorilla. I gotta be a rough nag. Free the Black Panthers. FCBP. Stand for Free the Black Panthers. If up the black police. That 13th Amendment. Trying to make a slave of me. You can like my body, can't trap my mind, not to ever be free. Okay, free the Black Panthers, FCBP, stand for free the Black Panthers, and fuck the black police. Feds infiltrated our movements for black leadership roles, but we still here, in the bill here, up coin tail pro. Show, they got me started, lying hearted, I'm the new Mufasa. And I'm all about Umoja, first in Guzu Saba. Let's bring back the black families, we need our father. Single mama, son and daughter, that's root of the problem. Wise up, we wise up. Unity is so powerful. Black banks, black schools, black on black power moves. You tell a lie, you think this shit won't be televised. Black power, be scared guys, that be standing there like they paralyzed. Huh? We say fuck the system, cause we above the system. We keep ARs and pistols, shotguns that's worth the crystal. But that's for self-defense, make sure we have no issues. Be sure to leave it at the door if you have it with you. This for them freedom fighters that lost their freedom. Until they freedom, we screaming carpe diem. This for the general. King Khalid Muhammad, we gon' make your day a holiday. I fuck me from mad. Free the Black Panthers, FCBP, stand for free the Black Panthers. And fuck the Black Police, that 13th Amendment, tryna make a slave of me. You can like my body, can't trap my mind, not to ever be free. Okay, free the Black Panthers, FCBP, stand for free the Black Panthers. And fuck the Black Police. Feds infiltrated our movements for black leadership roles, but we still here, in the bill here, up coin tail pro. RBG, 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 RBG. My sisters, my brothers, the council, the elders, that's really all I need. We suited, we booted, don't do it, you stupid, we head to the armory. Black women and goddess, regardless, my heart just don't fuck with misogyny, bullshit, I don't tolerate it. Melanated, so you gotta hate it. But rock up, up another conversation. Trump finna get inaugurated, damn. Unify or die, nbpp.org. First and foremost, the new Black Panther Party, no no other Black Panther Party, we are not violent. We are for self-defense and self-determination. The most violent group in this country are the police. What is taking place by the police department to black people across this country is ethnic cleansing and genocide. It has escalated since the day that Barack Obama was inaugurated in 2008. We have a, 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 a people who are only 13% of the population, yet we make up 80% of the prisons. We have 50% unemployment rate in the black community, and it's actually even more than that because they're not counting our people that are in the prisons. The 13th Amendment said you could not be made a slave or indigenous servant unless you commit a crime. The 14th Amendment forced our people to be subjects of this government. We never had any say in that. We need our own nation. You have the emergence in human society 
of this thing that's called the state. What is the state? The state is this organized bureaucracy. It is the police department. It is the army, the navy. It is the prison system, the courts, and what have you. This is the state. It is a repressive organization. But the state is true. Well, you know, you've got to have the police, because if there were no police, look at what you'd be doing to yourselves. You'd be killing each other if there were no police. But the reality is, the police become necessary in human society. You know how we think, organize the hood under our ching banners. Red, black, and green instead of gang bandanas. FBI spying on us through the radio antennas. And I'm hitting cameras in the street like watching society. With no respect for the people's right to privacy. I'll take a slug for the cause like Huey P. While all you fake niggas try to copy Master Key. I want to be free to live, able to have what I need to live. Bring the power back to the street where the people live. We sick of working for crumbs and filling up the prisons. Dying over money and relying on religion for help. We do for self like ants in a colony. Organize the wealth into a socialist economy. A way of life based off the common needs. And all my comrades is ready. We just spreading the seed. Live a third of his life in a damn cell Cause the world is controlled by the white male And the people don't never get justice And the women don't never get respected And the problems don't never get solved And the jobs don't never pay enough So the rent always be late Can you relate? No more bondage, no more political monsters, no more secret space launches. Government departments started it in the projects, material objects, thousands up in the closets. Could have been invested in the future for my comrades. Battle contacts, primitive weapons out in combat. Many never come back, pretty niggas be running with gas. Rather get shot in they back than fire back. We're tired of that. Corporations hiring blacks, denying the facts, exploiting us all over the map. That's why I write the shit I write in my rap. It's documented, I meant it. Every day of the week, I live in it, breathing it. It's more than just fucking believing it. I'm holding in one, rolling up my sleeves and shit. It's the low for push-ups now, many headed for one conclusion. Niggas ain't ready for revolution. Yeah, I've been black now, live a third of his life in a jail cell. Cause the world is controlled by the white male. And the people don't never get justice. And the women don't never get respected. And the problems don't never get solved. And the jobs don't never pay enough. So the rent always be late. Can you relate? We living in a police state. The controlled press, the white press, inflames the white public against Negroes. The police are able to use it to paint the Negro community as a criminal element. The police are able to use the press 
to make the white public think that 90% or 99% of the Negroes in the Negro community are criminals. And once the white public is convinced that most of the Negro community is a criminal element, then this automatically paves the way for the police to move into the Negro community exercising Gestapo tactics, stopping any black man who is in the, on, on the sidewalk, whether he is guilty or whether he is innocent, whether he is well-dressed or whether he is poorly dressed, whether he is educated or whether he is dumb, whether he's a Christian or whether he's a Muslim, as long as he is black and a member of the Negro community, the white public thinks that the white policeman is justified in going in there and trampling on that man's civil rights and on that man's human rights. Once the police have convinced the white public that the so-called Negro community is a criminal element, they can go in and question, brutalize, murder, unarmed, innocent Negroes, and the white public is gullible enough to back them up. This makes the Negro community a police state. This makes the Negro neighborhood a police state. It's the, it's the most heavily patrolled. It has more police in it than any other neighborhood, yet it has more crime in it than any other neighborhood. How can you have more cops and more crime? Why? It shows you that the cops must be in cahoots with the criminals. In the name of Allah, the Beneficent, the Merciful, all praise is due to Allah, the Lord of all the worlds. We turned up just a little bit. We forever thank Almighty God for coming as it was written and prophesied that He would come to seek and to save that which was lost. And we can find no other people fitting the description of the lost brother, the lost sister, or the lost sheep, except we, the 50 million or more, mentally and spiritually dead, black men and black women here in the hells of North America. And so we thank him for coming and raising up his messenger and his Messiah to the black man and black woman, again here in the hells of North America, I speak of none other than the most honorable Elijah Muhammad. And I thank the two of them for the man who is responsible for what I am and what I am becoming. And the man who is largely responsible for my spiritual rites of passage. And who is my mentor and teacher. I speak of none other than my spiritual father, the honorable minister Louis Farrakhan, in their names, I greet you here in Queens at the African Poetry Theater where culture is the byword and culture is used as a weapon. And to Brother uh, John Watusi and to others who are responsible for the programming and the enlightenment and the supreme wisdom that comes out of this house I am deeply honored, as I have stated, to have this opportunity to speak with you on this rainy night. 
on the subject that has been given to me, which I think is a very good subject. And that subject that was given to me is police brutality. Who polices the police? It's a very serious subject, and so naturally my response has to be a very serious response. There are those who speak of police review boards, and there are many police review boards throughout North America. There are many police review boards that allegedly are set up to monitor the activity of the policing agencies. And certainly some good has come out of police review boards, but I do not believe that police review boards can deal with the high level of police brutality in the black community. Of all our studies, history is best qualified to reward our research. If we know what happened yesterday, then we can intelligently discuss police brutality today because today is built on yesterday and tomorrow indeed is built on today. The very coming into being and existence of the white man. Not too many people want to say the white man anymore. Not too many people even say the words white man together. And very few from a rostrum or a podium or a TV talk show or anywhere who will straight up call the white man the devil in 1997. So let's get that straight before I even get started. The white man is not a devil, but the devil. He is wicked by nature. He's the number one murderer, the number one robber, the number one raper, the number one lyncher, the number one enslaver, the number one colonizer. He is the chief shedder of blood on the face of the planet Earth, and no one has come close even to equaling the shedding of blood of the white man. As I started to say, his very existence is owed to the shedding of blood of the black man and black woman. There would be no white race if it were not for the genetic engineering, the grafting, the birth control, and the special process by which the white man came into existence, which required, again, the very shedding of blood of the black man and black woman. And so the most honorable Elijah Muhammad has taught us that the circumstances surrounding the origin of a thing into the world determines the very nature of that thing. It codes that thing. It marks that thing. And that thing cannot help but do according to its coded nature. And if it is your bloodshed, and it is, that brought the white man into existence, then it must be your and my bloodshed that will keep him in power and in control. And so white supremacy and global white domination and rapid racism that runs rapid throughout the face of the planet Earth is based on the murder of the black man and black woman, but black man first. The black man is public enemy number one. Public enemy Number one, oh, he does not spare the black woman, for the black woman is 
bodies and speckled with all of the shades of color of the color spectrum. Number one, she is all of the colors because she is the original woman. And out of her comes the black, the brown, the red, the yellow. And yes, out of her comes the white. But she is spotted and speckled today in another sense because of the rape of our great-great-grandmothers and our great-great-great-grandmothers. I'm not going to get into that. Hell, all of them were great. Straight on down the line. The raping of the black woman. So she has not been spared. But again I say, public enemy number one is the black man. Why is the black man public enemy number one of the white man? The black man is public enemy number one when we study police brutality and global white supremacy. He is number one. Because as our great psychiatrists and psychologists, such as Dr. Francis Cress Wilson, such as Dr. Richard King, such as Dr. Naeem Akbar, such as Dr. Cedric X. Clark, and others have pointed out to us, Dr. Uh, Patricia uh, Nona Kosawa uh, Sekmet, and others of our psychologists and psychiatrists, Dr. Uh, Mary Ra Bridges, and others. As they have pointed out to us, the black man is public enemy number one because the world is a white male-dominated world. It is a white male-dominated world. And being a white male-dominated world, then he fears the number one threat to his global rule and his reign of white supremacy. And his number one threat is the black man. And so he fears that the black man will one day wake up. And if the black man, and when the black man one day wakes up, then there is the end to the white man's white supremacy. I'd like to, before I get into the body of my lecture, read a poem for you. I normally don't read poems, but this one is just so good. I got to read this one. You want to hear a poem at the African Poetry Theater? Here where culture is a weapon. All right? The poem is called, it's by Brother Taim, it's by, the poem is by Taimbe Jess. And the poem is, When niggers love revolution like they love the bulls. When niggers love revolution like they love the bulls, Youth will wear red, black, and green patches over the emblems on their starter jackets. When niggers love revolution like they love the bulls, brothers will gather regularly at barber shops and corner stops to discuss George Jackson and to discuss, discuss the handbook of revolutionary warfare and people's war before they go home to take care of their children each night. When niggers love revolution like they love the bulls, playground basketball courts will become paramilitary training grounds where we learn to shoot guns at the enemy and not baskets for bets. When niggers love revolution like they love the bulls, we will spend hours and hours watching our children grow into soldiers and not basketball players. When niggers love revolution like they love the bulls, 
We will know CIA stats, FBI stats, infant mortality stats, police brutality stats, political prisoners and prisoners of war, and literacy training techniques like we know Paxson's shoe size or uh, Shaq's shoe size or the way we know Rodman or Pippen's rebounds or Grant's salary and all the intimate details of Michael's last gambling spree. When niggas love revolution like they love the bulls, you will be able to ask any youth on the street, who is Sundiata Okoli? Who is Asada Shakur? Who is Sekou Odinga? Who is Rochelle McGee and Jonathan Jackson? You will be able to ask, who is Matula Shakur? Who is Queen Mother Moore? And they will be able to tell you without skipping a beat. When niggas love revolution like they love the bulls, you will go on to ask them about Michael Jordan, and they will say, who? When niggas love revolution like they love the bulls, masses of us will go down to tear up a Carolina coroner and his office to find out what really happened to James Jordan instead of waiting on the word of newspapers and sheriff's offices. When niggas love revolution like they love the bulls, we will show up in Washington, D.C. with the Million Man March with our God and with our guns. When niggas love revolution like they love the bulls, they will start to seriously wonder why one Negro putting a brown ball through a white net makes more money in one season than they will make in an entire lifetime and do something about it. When niggas love revolution like they love the bulls, you will see Phil Jackson running up and down an empty court minutes before game time screaming, where are my niggas? Where are my niggas? Where are my niggas? as the niggers leave the stadium to go build liberation schools in their community. When niggers love revolution like they love the bulls, all niggers will refuse to shoot ball with the president with or without their dashikis on. When niggers love revolution like they love the bulls, will become associated with the sound that CIA agents, snitches, Rats and agent provocateurs who join our organizations and work against the legitimate aspirations of our people who yearn to breathe free, drug dealers and others will make when they are thrown gracefully face first into open manholes. <laughs> when niggas love revolution like they love the bulls, Nike will no longer be able to sell $160 basketball shoes in the black community because we would rather spend the money on liberation and revolution. Thank you. When niggas love revolution like they love the bulls, they, would love it, they will love it more than chitlins, more than all my children, more than jerry curls, more than permanence more than Cadillacs and Mercedes-Benz and Rolls-Royces and BMWs cause when niggas love revolution like they love the bulls, when niggas love their family like they love the bulls, when niggas love their children 
like they love the bulls. When niggas love to be free like they love the bulls. When niggas love struggle like they love the bulls. When niggas love dignity like they love the bulls. When niggas love niggas like they love the bulls. We would become black people and all the bull shit will hit the fan. Understanding the very origin and the nature and the coding of the white man. And understanding that his very existence and world control and domination and the maintaining of white supremacy is based on the murder of the black man and woman. Then it is no wonder that police brutality is to the level that it is in black communities all over America. The cold-blooded murder of Brother Aswan there in Brooklyn just a few weeks, months ago, shot 20 times, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26 times. Brother Jerry Lee Amy in Los Angeles shot 39 times, over 6 feet tall, shot even on his shoulders which meant, did the cracker get on a stepladder and shoot him on his shoulders, or did they shoot him and shoot him and shoot him down to the ground and keep shooting him even after he was on the ground? You don't have to shoot a damn elephant 39 times to kill an elephant. And Jerry Lee Amy, as always, as all of us are, was the wrong man. Cracker was looking for a robbery suspect, Jerry Lee Amy is playing with his daughter in the front yard, and as they are running across the front yard, the cracker assumes that he is a so-called fugitive of just us, and so they shoot him down on his lawn in front of his baby girl. Brother Philip Pennell would still be alive in New Jersey. Brother Lewis there in St. Petersburg, Florida would still be alive as the crackers rolled up on him and claimed that his car lunged forward, that one was on the side and the other one, what kind of fool this is, I don't know. The other cop was supposedly in front of the car looking through the front of the windshield. Common sense would tell a damn fool. You don't have to be a policeman that you don't stand in front of the vehicle. But they claimed the vehicle lunged forward. They shot him. The policeman was never hit by the vehicle. The vehicle never crashed anywhere into the pole or anywhere on the side. Brother Lewis would still be alive if we understood this dynamic better than we understand it. Our brother in Johnny Gamage in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, who was there in the suburbs of Pittsburgh, and the crackers said that he stepped on his brakes and his brake lights came on too many times. His brake lights were blinking too many times. And so they snatched him from the vehicle and all of them jumped on top of him and beat him and choked him and choked him until they choked in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Brother Johnny Gamage to death. Sister Eula May Love and the many that are from the New York area, from the New Jersey area, from Chicago, from Los Angeles, from the South, and throughout. All of them, brothers and sisters, 
victims of police brutality and we don't even have the time to name all of us killed at the hands of brute beast police. It was former Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall who spoke at Coward Jew University, sometimes called Howard University. And as he spoke there, he said that the Ku Klux Klan, that the white paramilitary right-wing organizations, the Nazis and others, that the Klan no longer just wears white hoods and white sheets, but now the Klan wears blue uniforms, carries a badge or a shield and a legal quote-unquote weapon, that the Klan now wears black robes and sits on the judge's bench to rule from the courtroom. And so Thurgood Marshall, having been a Supreme Court justice, too afraid to make bold stands himself, but in a sense like the spook who sat by the door, on his way out, he could begin to give up a little bit of the truth. And right here in New York, we have Judge Bruce Wright. And as we read his book, Black Robes, White Justice, in Black Robes, White Justice, Judge Bruce Wright gives us the inside track on the criminal, criminal justice system of the white man. And never call it a criminal justice system unless you put the adjective in front of it, that it is a criminal, criminal justice system. In fact, it is the criminal, criminal justice system. It is no wonder that there is police brutality because the white man is a criminal. He's the number one criminal on the face of the planet Earth. Criminals established the criminal, criminal justice system of white America. Every law in the penal code system of the state of New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, California, Georgia, no matter where, and the penal code for the federal government of the United Snakes of America. Every law in the penal code book, every law was broken by the white man in order to establish that state, to establish this state, and to establish what he calls the United States of America. Every law. Some of you saw us on Herald Hope. That's what he is. It's a little Ebonics. I can't call him Harald Hoare. Ebonically speaking, he's Harald Ho. You saw us with Dr. Alvin Poussant. How many saw it? Poor Dr. Alvin Poussant got up and walked off the stage. Didn't want to be on the stage with me. He said, I can't sit here with Khalid Muhammad. He said, Dr. Khalid Muhammad has said some of the worst things and taken some of the most racist and anti-Semitic stances that I have ever heard of before. He went on to say even Minister Farrakhan had to get rid of Khalid Muhammad. In other words, he was saying, damn, if Farrakhan had to get rid of him, you know he must be bad. <laughs> All praises due to Allah. So Dr. Alvin Poussant of Harvard University, psychiatrist, eminent scholar among us, got up from the podium on national television. Some saw it internationally. 
We knew a month or two before the program, everybody that was going to be on the program. He knew I was going to be on. I knew he was going to be on. They had the other Negro, um, what's his name, the prosecutor in the O.J. case. Christopher Darden, he was on there. Christopher Darden was there. I brought some Kleenex for him. I didn't get a chance to pass them to him on the program. You remember old Chris Darden upholding the criminal, criminal justice system of white America and supporting white supremacy and cold-blooded police brutality. You remember him that after they lost the case, he stood with Marsha Clark and cried like a baby. Just broke down and boohooed. Marsha Clark took it like a man. But he broke down and cried like a baby. Why was Christopher Darden crying? He was crying because it was a flashback to the plantation. Every plantation had an old nigga that was a fast nigga. And this nigga, when they were getting ready to whip another nigga, that's not my word, that's their word for us. And if everybody stands up in front of you and dresses it up and tiptoes through the tulips and beats around the bush and dilly-dallies, you'll go right back to sleep because some of you want to go back to sleep. Oh, he's using the N-word. Damn, N-word. Why do you use the N-word? Because that's what the cracker calls us every day and night. Texaco is not alone. It's Texaco, Shell, Chevron, Texaco, Amoco, all of the crackers. It wasn't just Avis. Avis rent a car, said they didn't even want to rent cars to niggas. Say, whatever you do, but just, if you can get around it, don't rent the darn car to a nigga. <laughs> That's what Avis said. I mean, I saw it in the news. Avis said, look, the niggas put, sick, they put, out, they put their cigarettes out on the seats. Niggas leave chewing guns stuck on the steering wheel. Niggas have a flat and leave a donut on the damn car. <laughs> they say the niggas just tap all the rental cars. Say, you know, we need their money, but we lose so much. Can you try not to rent to them, tell them something's wrong with their driver's license, their credit card, anything? Bally. You know, Bally with the shoes and stuff. I don't know what the thing was with them. They were talking about it. But to all of the crackers. We're niggas, some to our face, others behind closed doors. That's Tiger Woods. He's called the winner of the masters, which is supposed to make him a baby, a master. But to the cracker, he's just another fried chicken, collard green eating nigga. That's all. You might be able to swing a golf stick between your legs and choose the right iron and knock a little white scrawny ball into a hole in black mother earth on green grass, which is a game representing global control and white supremacy. That's why they play on the green. And that's why it's a little white ball representing the testicles of the white man. And you must choose the right size iron. They make a big deal over the size of the iron. To knock this little scrawny white ball into a hole in black mother earth. But it's a game for control of the turf 
of the green of the land of the earth. Here comes a baby, what is he, 21 years old? 21 years old and beats all of them pot belly over the hill, old peckerwoods who've been playing golf all their life, some of them. So the cracker just got mad. We call him a fried chicken eating, collard green eating little boy. Say the little boy is doing everything right. Those crackers were embarrassed. They just let black people into the masters in the 90s and only have about two. And then he comes in and just takes over and beats them all. But to them, to us, we may be proud that he's a master in the golfing world. But to them, just a fried chicken, collard green eating nigger. Alan Keyes ran for president, wanted to be a Republican. Ain't no difference in the Republican or the Democrat. The political system of the white man will never get us out of this condition. You can run out there and register to vote as much as you want to and brag about how many people you registered to vote. For what? So you registered so many and so many to vote. Will it change the condition of black people? We've been voting ever since the white man allowed us to vote. And we're still in the same condition, if not in a worse condition. And every time you think you voted in a good initiative or a new initiative that is supposed to be for and in our best interest, the white man changes the, the rules of the game and changes in the twinkling of an eye and turns back the hands of the clock. You thought affirmative action many thought it was here to stay. You thought food stamps were here to stay. Some of you were big niggas in the community. You had a big roll of food stamps. You'd be flipping and flashing your food stamps on the rest of the slaves. You had more food stamps than any slave in the community. Pecker Wood talking about welfare reform. Democratic president signed it. Republican, uh, the Republican constituency behind it both Democrat and Republican. But this Negro, Alan Keyes, wanted to be a Republican candidate for president. And they had a debate down there in, in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. He went down to the debate. Clinton is there, Slick Willie. That's what they call him, Slick Willie, and he is slick. Screwed everything that wasn't screwed down when he was in Arkansas. Had the state troopers sneaking women in, bringing them through the window, through the back door of the state house. Poor Hillary somewhere with the dog and the bird and that ugly little daughter they got. Then he says he used to smoke weed, but he didn't inhale. You know, why not just leave the lie alone? The old folks say if you tell one lie, you don't have to tell another one. He smoked weed, but he didn't inhale. Huh? This is crazy as it can be. Would you buy a used car from some a guy named from a guy named Slick Willie? He was there. Buchanan was there. The multi-billion-dollar peckerwood with the big ears. Pinocchio's nose grew from lying so much. You got a billion dollars. You're doing some lying and serious stealing. And you white. So his nose is not growing, this cracker's ears are growing. He was at the debate. All these big crackers, Alan Keyes, the Negro, saying he, 
He wanted the good old days to come back. Now, I don't know what this nigga was thinking about. But somehow he worked himself up for that. Showed up in Atlanta as the Republican candidate, a Republican candidate to debate. Showed up at the door. They say, huh? He said, I'm, uh, I'm uh, Alan Keyes. I'm here for the debate. They say, for what? I'm, I'm, I'm a candidate for president. I'm here for the debate. They said, nigga, you here for what? What do you have to say, nigga? He said, but I was a, a candidate for president. I was a Republican. They said, nigga, you better get away from here. He said, but I have a right to come in here. They said, call the police. They called the police on this nigga, put him in handcuffs, threw the Republican guy Negro running for the Republican slot with the mother Republican in a police squad car and dropped his behind off in one of the worst sections of Atlanta, Georgia, I guess hoping he would get mugged or beat upside the damn <laughs> To other Negroes, he was a candidate for the high office of the presidency of the United States of America. To the crackers at the debate, he was just another nigger. Listen, nigga, you ain't got no business in here. And they didn't even let the nigga come in to use the toilet. Sent his behind away. You had other Negroes say that if they went Republican, they would have the keys to the White House. When it was over, niggas didn't even have the keys to the outhouse. But it makes no difference whether it's Republican or Democrat. And I'm going to say this, whether you like it or not, but somebody has to say it. It makes no difference whether it's an independent political party. Democrat, Republican, independent political party, as long as you're playing by the rules of the white man, you still are not going to win. Separation is the best and only solution into a land or territory of your own. You say, well, I'm a black nationalist. How in the hell are you going to be a black nationalist and you ain't thinking about no separation? You can't have a nation unless you separate from your enemy and your oppressor. But nobody wants to talk separation now. You ask them a question about separation and they start tiptoeing and scratching it. <laughs> well, you know, that's a last resort, you know. After, after well, you see, if we can't, if we can't get along together... Well, hell, how much more time do you need to know that we can't get along together? The most honorable Elijah Muhammad said the white man is absolutely disagreeable to get along with in peace and that no one has been able to get along with him anywhere on the face of the planet Earth. The honorable Elijah Muhammad didn't say if we can't work things out with the white man, if we can't get justice from the white man, he said, since we can't get justice from the white man. Since is a foregone conclusion. Since means it's already decided. The matter is decided. It's already determined that we can't get along with this cracker. But many want to tiptoe. You don't want a nation of your own. That's not everybody here. When I say you, I mean us in general. Separation is the only solution. The white man broke every law 
in the state and federal penal code system in order to establish every state in the United States and to establish the United States itself. His army, his navy, his air force, his marine corps, his coast guard, these are national policing agencies. He has national policing agencies, FBI. He has international and global policing agencies, Army, Navy, Air Force, alliances, NORAD, and NATO, and all of this to control the globe like a big white octopus. He has his tentacles stretched out across, across the globe as a national and international policeman, then state police then county police, then city police, huh? and even the boroughs have special police. Then you go to the damn building, and the building got some special police. Here's a cracker watching you in the toilet in some of the, in some of the buildings. He's standing around wondering and checking. I don't know what he's doing. Uh, that's another subject for another time. Police everywhere. What's the purpose? To maintain white supremacy. To maintain global white supremacy. To protect what has been stolen from the rest of the world. The police are not our friend. Now there are black police organizations that are coming up and some of them are conscious. Some black policemen bucked the whole black police, I mean the whole white police establishment. Conscious black policemen who are tired and sick and tired of being tired, who have consciousness, are beginning to build black policing organizations right in major precincts and some minor precincts all over the country, and it's worrying the white man to death. Conscious black policemen, some of them are actually recruiting other policemen, pulling them to the side, teaching them, giving them tapes, giving them liberation literature, taking them to meetings and rallies and conferences so that that gun that they have on their hip and that shield that they have can be used for us in times of escalated war. Some black policemen are actually preparing for war as we stand here and talk here tonight. The marshals, the U.S. marshals, black marshals, talking of filing a class action suit against the United States Marshals Department. Members, black members of the so-called Federal Bureau of Investigation, FBI agents, have filed class action suits against the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Because black policemen are now right in there with them, checking them out every day. Why does the devil keep us apart from his social equality? Let me send a shout out to all the gods in the earth in the house. Peace. Why does the devil keep us apart from his social equality? That's why you got the CIA, the FBI, black CIA, black FBI, black policemen, black marshals, black sheriffs. Some of them now standing up. You got five percenters, five percent sheriffs. Five per everything has a five percent, a ten percent, an eighty-five percent. You got a 5% among the policemen coming up conscious, black as they can be, all across the country. 
And now that they have been in there where the white man is, they have found out how filthy he is, how wicked he is, how evil he is, and all his affairs. And in finding out how filthy, how wicked, and how evil he is, and all his affairs, now the white man wants to run them from among them. And so he's now bringing certain pressure to bear against them and forcing them to take him to court. And I say like Lorraine Hansberry said, who gave us a raisin in the sun and raised the question, what happens to a dream deferred? And ultimately she says, or does it just explode as she gives us the other options? Lorraine Hansberry, who was nobody's revolutionary, Lorraine Hansberry talked about fighting this cracker by any means necessary. She talked about those who want to use the march to use the march. Those who want to use the ballot to use the ballot. She said those who want to challenge him in court, take him to court, as these black policemen and marshals and sheriffs and others are taking the cracker to court. But she said that there should be others who are armed, Lorraine Hansberry talking, who will shoot from their windows, she said, when these races come into our community. Now that's Lorraine Hansberry. Some of y'all say, what kind of berry was strawberry? Who? Lorraine Hansberry. What's that? What's raspberry. Who is Lorraine Raspberry? I said Hansberry. Now, what kind of berry is a Hansberry? Go and look up. She's gone on to the realm of the Egun now, to her ancestors. But study about Lorraine Hansberry and look up her work, or A Raisin in the Sun. And you will get a feel for her and a feel for her life. And she talked about shooting, and there would be others who would be shooting from their windows when the races would come into our community. I'm almost finished. I don't believe that taking the cracker to court is going to solve it. But I would rather see our brothers who are gaining consciousness on the police force, FBI, CIA, marshals and sheriffs and others, take the cracker to court while they organize on another level. But when you take Frank James to court and Jesse James is the judge, how in the hell do you expect Jesse James to convict Frank James when that's his brother? If Frank James took something from you and you come to court and tell Jesse that Frank took it from you, all no. Jesse is concerned with is whether Frank left anything over for him to take. So when you take the white man to court, you're taking the criminal to the criminal, to into a criminal, criminal justice system set up by crackers, criminals, and Satan himself. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. The Bible says flood, blood will flow in the streets to the horse's bridle. Can you imagine that? A horse's bridle? Blood will flow in the streets to the horse's bridle. Another scripture says, as you have delighted in taking our blood, you will be given your own blood to drink like water. The most honorable Elijah Muhammad, my spiritual father, the honorable minister Louis Farrakhan, when we were tight, tight, tight and close, 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 he used to tell me, as he was teaching me, and he would tell many of us how when he was sitting with his spiritual father, the most honorable Elijah Muhammad, 
how sometimes he would be riding in the car with the most honorable Elijah Muhammad and white folks would be passing in front of the car at the stoplight and the honorable Elijah Muhammad would touch him and say, Brother Lewis, have you ever seen a people in whom there is no good at all? And Minister Farquharson, no, sir, dear apostle. He said, well, there goes one right there. No good in them at all. And he says the most honorable Elijah Muhammad used to talk about how he would torture the white man. How he would like to take his fingernails off one by one. Take his eyeballs out of the socket. What he would do with the skin of the white man. And how he said he would like to cut crackers' throats or cut devils' throats until the blood started rising up to his chin. And the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan told me from his own mouth that the most Honorable Elijah Muhammad said that as he cut white folks' throats, cut the devil's throats, and the blood rose up, coming up over his head, that he prayed that Allah would give him the strength to just cut one more cracker's throat before the blood rose up over his head. Now, for some of you, this subject may be a little rough. They should have issued you some seat belts when you came in. And if for any reason this cultural center becomes depressurized, an oxygen mask will automatically fall from the ceiling. Please place it firmly over your mouth and nose and breathe freely and then help the weak one next to you. <laughs> but everything will be all right. You don't give me a subject on police brutality and expect me to come and tiptoe and just speak on police review boards and speak on how we can um, find ways to take them to court. And No, what I'm going to tell you tonight in the language that I will tell you tonight, I probably have never said directly, though I have said indirectly and partially directly many times. We must arm ourselves or harm ourselves. We must arm the masses. Are you saying that? Yes, as brother points to his head, we must be armed with supreme wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. We must be armed with our history, our heritage, our culture, our legacy, our God, and the spirit and the power of the God of our ancestors. We must be armed with steel cameras, video cameras, film cameras, so that black people like Dr. Huey P. Newton and Brother Bobby, uh, Bobby Seale and Brother Kwame Touré, like the Black Panther Party in the early days, made sure to monitor every time cops stop black people anywhere on the streets or, on, or in an alley. You should have your video camera going. You should have your camera taking pictures. You should have your tape recorder on. You should be armed with your tape recorder, your video camera. You should be armed with your steel camera, with your movie camera. You should be, or whatever, the millimeters, I don't know all that stuff. You know what I'm talking about. What they call them, all them things that you take the home movies and stuff with. Huh? You, I guess I got a super ace all that. I got to learn the, I got to learn the weapons. I got to learn the weapons. <laughs> you got to be armed with all of that but we also got to arm ourselves with weapons. But I thought you were the nation of Islam and the nation of Islam. Well, I'd love to be with the nation of Islam. 
But the nation of Islam at this point apparently has no place for me and has pushed me out and has now put me, on, put me off limits. I can't attend any mosque anywhere in the nation of Islam. I'm not going to sit down in a corner and cry. I'm going to stand up and fight this peckerwood, fight this bastard as best I can. And I believe we must arm ourselves or harm ourselves. If we were all armed, we'd have a better community. There would be less rape in the black community. Ain't no damn fool going to run up on a bunch of women knowing all of them packing. Any kind of heat in your pants behind your zipper is going to get awfully cold when sister pull out a nine millimeter. Huh? Be less rape in the black community if all were armed. Our elders would be able to walk the streets and go cash their little checks. If you, know, if you knew that Uncle Bubba, Aunt Chili Red, Big Mama, that Big Mama and, and Uncle Naps, huh, cutting all my jeans, don't be acting like you out here in Queens and you all ain't got nobody in your family with them names. Because you left the cornbread crumbs or trail on your way coming in here. <laughs> Look, don't you know what nobody or very few would rob Big Mama or, or cutting on my jeans, trying to go cash her little check if they knew that they had a piece, if they knew they had their gat with them? Huh? Don't you know that Malcolm would probably still be alive? that Sunday, February 21st, 1965, if fools walked into that auditorium and knew that everybody in the auditorium was armed to the teeth. You don't walk in to take out the people's hero and you know everybody in the damn audience is armed. Even the little old lady getting snuffed in the audience got her pistol in her purse. Now, hell, you going to shoot Malcolm and make it out of the damn door. Queen Mother Moore tells the story of the days when she was with the Honorable Marcus Mosiah Garvey. And they were at the ILA, the International Longshoremen's Association Hall in New Orleans, Louisiana. And they were trying to deport Mr. Garvey from the country. And they had told, the chief of police had told Mr. Garvey, had sent a decree out in an order that if Marcus Garvey spoke at the Longshoremen's Hall, he said, I'm going to run you in. I'm going to arrest you. And so Mr. Garvey showed up, and the members of UNIA showed up, and Queen Mother Moore and all the young girls were there. And you know Queen Mother could tell the story when she was telling the story. She's saying, honey, you know how she tell it, honey. She said the chief of police rolled up with police everywhere. And Mr. Garvey was there ready to speak, and the chief of police Stuck his finger in the air and he said, if you say a word, Garvey, I'll run you in. And Queen Mother Moore saying, honey, we all stood up on the chairs. She said, we reached under our dresses and we reached in our bras and we reached in. She said, Coke 45s and Smith and Wessons and everything went in the air. And she said, all you could hear was a choir or a chorus from the people saying, speak, Garvey, speak. And Mr. Garvey said it as I was saying. <laughs> Garvey said it as I was saying. Some of you are foolish enough to say, well, no, what we need is books. Yes, we need books. 
We must study. We must study from our scholars. We must study from Dr. Ben. We must study from Dr. Clark. We must study from Dr. Maulana Karenga. We must study from Dr. Ivan Van Sertima, Dr. Sheikh Anta Diop, Dr. George G.M. James, Dr. Jeffries and Dr. Jeffries and on and on. We must study all of them. But at the same time, we can't say I ain't going to study war no more. You can't say that. You say, well, we don't need guns. We need books. Shut up, fool. <laughs> the white man make all the guns. How are we going to go up against the white man? He, we can't compete with the white man with all the guns. Well, fool, he make all the books. How are you going to compete with him if he makes all the books? You willing to go that route? I was talking to a young Sunni Muslim brother at Mark 125 yesterday. He said, well... Do you really think we still oppressed in America? I'm not lying as God is my witness. Young, young brother, but he still has, he has a good chance, this young brother. He said, you think we still oppressed? And he went on to show me how things had changed and how we weren't oppressed anymore. He really believed that. And I told him, since I knew he was coming from Islam, I told him that Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that Prophet Muhammad said you must stop the oppressor. Stop the hand of the oppressor. Physically stop him. The Holy Quran says then fight. Fight with those who fight against you. That persecution and bloodshed, that persecution and the murder of your people is worse than bloodshed. Quran says better to go on and fight and shed some blood, but persecution and the shedding of blood and the slaughter of your people is not worse than dealing with your enemy and shedding your enemy's blood. Fight. Fight with those who fight against you. It says, and drive them out from where they drove you out. It says, and fight with them until there is no more war. Fight with them until there is no more bloodshed. I told him that Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Stop the hand of the oppressor. Physically. Fight him. But Prophet Muhammad goes on to say, If you can't fight him physically and stop his hand physically, speak out against him. Strongly speak out against him. And if you can't stop him physically and stop the hand of the oppressor physically, if you can't speak out boldly and strongly against him, Prophet Muhammad says, then secretly protest in your heart. But secret protest in your heart is the poorest and the weakest form of protest, he said. He said, oh, see, I put his man on him. That's the way we got to be. We got to know all of the doctrines, all of the philosophy, all of the ideology, so we can go after our people and bridge the gap and pull them together and form an African united front or a black united front. But we got to know what they know and then some. So when I put Prophet Muhammad on him and told him that, you know, if you want to secretly protest in your heart, the Nabi or the Prophet said that's the poorest form of, of protest. Then he's ready to talk. So the day he saw me, I was over there. He was very excited. He wanted another conversation. So I dropped a little something else on him, and he's a good little brother coming along. 
I'm almost there, if you'll give me just a few more minutes. There would be less police brutality if the masses were armed. Mark Furman's would be hard to find. Mark Furman was not an exception to the rule. Mark Furman talked about the brotherhood of policemen, the fraternity of policemen. He said that the policeman is God. That's what he said. There's a devil saying that the policeman is God. He's judge, jury, and executor. Huh? Right on the spot. He talked about how he used to beat black men and women and Chicano brothers and sisters until he would just beat the waste out of them, beat the mess out of them. He said, then you could smell the niggas and the you could smell the niggas and 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 uh, what do you, the, I guess you call them the Mexicans or the Ch uh, Chicano. You could smell them. I mean, you could smell them stinking. He said you couldn't get into the jail for the stench coming from them. They just beat them until they urinate on themselves. Beat them until their bowels would waste all over. He said he grab them and just throw them down the steps. Just throw them down. And another cracker down at the other end of the steps. Or catch them at the other end of the steps. Kick them and beat them. No, you've got to stop. I'm here to tell you that the only way you're going to stop police brutality is you've got to stand up and be brutal with this damn beast. You've got to step to this cracker or it will never stop. You can moan, you can groan, you can sing, you can pray. You can recite, you can claim you know all the Quran, Old Testament, I mean uh, all the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, the Quran from Al-Fatiha to Al-Nas. You can know all the Meduneta. You can know Maya, truth, justice, righteousness, harmony, balance, order, reciprocity. You can name those of the Netter system. You can go and study the Odu text and substantiate your position according to Odu. You can study the Ifa, or the word, or the icon, or the Yoruba, and run through the pantheon of the Orisha. You can call on Oludumare. You can call on Ilegba, and Shango, and Obatula, and Oshun, and Ogun, and Yemonya. You can know all of that. But unless you're willing to stand up and step to this white man, we will never get out of this condition Frederick Douglass said the limits of a tyrant is prescribed by exactly how far you will let that tyrant go. He won't stop if you don't stop him. It's like any bully. The bully will keep picking on you until you get him to raise up off of you. But some of us will lose our lives. Tupac is gone already. Biggie is gone already. Many of us, Yusuf Hawkins is gone already. Many of us are already dead and we're dying every day. And while we're here in Queens tonight, black men and women and young black boys are dying at the hands of some cracker somewhere in America right now. I would rather die for a cause than to die because. You in some bar room pinching somebody's wife on the booty on the bar stool and get your throat cut with a Miller Life 
Miller Light bottle. life, man. That's a hell of a way to go. Say, your daddy got killed. Say, yeah. <laughs> How'd he get killed? Say, he pinched somebody's wife on the booty at the bar stool. The dude picked up a Miller Life bottle of Budweiser Light and broke it and cut his throat. Is that the way he died? Well, he died in the East Coast, West Coast fight. East Coast? West Coast? You're a damn fool. You'll die over some bullshit? Some damn records? A damn CD? You're what you call a, 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 a recording studio gangster? Oh, you bad as hell in the recording studio. There ain't a nigga in the world better than you. Capone couldn't mess with you. Babyface Nelson, none of them couldn't mess with you. A recording studio gangster. You just as bad as you can be. You gon' blow, put your gat in the nigga's mouth and blow the nigga's brains out. I'll stomp that hoe. I'll kick that bitch. Uh, uh, uh. White man show up, you can hear a rat pee on cotton. <laughs> Nigga ain't ready to fight. Nigga ain't ready to fight. I say we must arm the masses. Most of y'all got guns anyway. You shoot them for the 4th of July. Damn day that ain't even your Independence Day. Yes, you do. You shoot them on New Year's and New Year ain't even in yet. You just got them, they're just toys. Or you'll go get them on your wife. Draw the gun on her because she burnt the beans for the fourth time. She'll just go order some beans. Or she'll draw the pistol on you because the phone rang at 2 in the morning and you stayed on too long, too long talking too low. Two or three brothers, so bad. I'm Crip. Two or three brothers, so bad. I'm blood. They'll go off into territory of their rival brother gang and face bumper jacks, face chains, baseball bats, pipes, nines, huh? AKs. Face everything in a fratricidal war with your kith and kin, your flesh and blood, your brother, your sister. The goddamn white man come, you throw the guns under the damn car, throw the damn guns in the bushes. He make 50 niggas spread up against the wall, one peck of wood. All right, get up against the wall, buddy. Don't move, guy. Here's Will Kill Johnson. Huh? Here's bloody blood and all them crazy names you got. Here's shotgun. All of them spread up against the wall. Come on. I don't never read about no drive-bys at the police station. 
You bad. You a gangster when it comes to another brother or sister. I never heard of you shooting at the police station and busting on a cracker while they eating Dunkin' Donuts. I never heard of a cracker's head falling in his, his uh, chicken, his uh, KFC chicken box. Because you went by and blasted him, gaffled him, straight up, while he eating his greasy chicken and french fries. You ain't got the heart. But you'll kill your own. I get sick of these forums of you talking about what's done to us. The black man has to take a stand. We ain't going to get out of this condition. The Bible says, arise, arise, awake ye men of Zion. Shake yourself from the dust. You used to rule the earth. Now we groveling at some cracker's feet. And if your brother stands up and speaks boldly and speaks of war with the enemy, you back off from him and run like a little sissy. I don't agree with that cheap language. Kind of damn cheap language. There is no special way to talk to the enemy. Well, you got to be polite with the enemy. Well, you shouldn't talk about the Pope. Who in the hell is the Pope? He's not just the Pope of Rome, he's the goddamn punk of Rome. Some faggot sitting up in the Vatican somewhere, fondling little boys and stuff. You don't know what's under that damn dress. You might find out that the Pope of Rome is Mother Superior. <laughs> Give a damn about no Pope. Somebody has to pull down the idols. Bust up the idols. The Pope is an idol. I'm not going to talk about Kennedy or uh, Clinton, and I'm going to speak of them in such respectful terms. Mr. President, hell no, this is the murderer of my people. I say you no good bastard. That's right. That's right. If I say Mr. at all, I say Mr. Devil. <laughs> yes, sir, Mr. Devil. Why? I'm giving him honor. Honorable mission, mention in his high position of evil and wickedness. What is this stuff that's going on? In the 60s, there was the talk of revolution everywhere. Some of our revolutionaries are now locked down. I know there are days and nights when they, lang as they languish in the prison cells that they just cry and cry when everybody else is asleep because they gave up their lives. They sacrificed because they believed that there would be continuity and struggle. And they believed that a generation would rise up and finish what they started. But you're looking for a way to be hip, slick, cute, and cool, and sing your way out, and march your way out, and dance your way out, and rap your way out, and vote your way out, and marry crackers on your way out. That's not going to get us out. That's going to get us took out. I know it's taken out. But it's going to get us took out. Took out. Understand Ebonics. It comes from the West it comes from the West Niger Congo African language group. It's not broken English. It's real. Your language is actually what you hear and speak in your home environment. That's your language. English is a second language for us. 
That's why we do it the way we do it. It's a second language and coming up out of our history and our genetic memory bank from the West Niger Congo language, African language system is what is called now Ebonics. Study our great linguist, Dr. Ernie Smith and others who are opening up the way for us to battle this cracker and to clear all of this up. These were some of the key points. There are blacks who are in the military who are gaining consciousness on a daily and consistent basis. According to the King Alfred plan in the book by John A. Williams called The Man Who Cried I Am. Some say it's not true. Some say it's true. I say we better check it out. In the King Alfred plan, the book The Man Who Cried I Am by John A. Williams, it gives us a countdown, an emergency countdown of what the white man, the government of the United States of America would do on a national, state, a regional, state county and city-wide uh, level to put down revolution and rebellion and insurrection inside of America. In addition to the King Alfred plan, we have public law called the McCarran Act. The McCarran Act is public law. It begins by saying once the ghetto is sealed off and depending on the violence being perpetrated by the warring guerrillas, the following actions must be taken. And they go on to give step by step once the ghetto, as they call it, is sealed off, what following actions must be taken to engage us, as they call us, the warring guerrillas. War is coming in this country on an escalated scale. We're already in war. Some of us may not be at war, but we are in war. The cracker is fighting and everybody else. We may not all be fighting. But war on an escalated scale is coming in this country where the color of your skin will be your uniform. Plain and simple. It won't care whether you're a Ph.D. nigger. won't care if you're a M.S. nigger or a B.S. nigger. won't care what kind of degree you got, magna cum laude, laude, summa cum laude, or thank you laude. It won't make no damn difference at all. They won't care if you are Muslim or Muslim or Muslim, 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 Muslim. It won't make no damn difference. Or we're not killing the Muslim niggers today. They won't care if you are born again Christian. Praise the Lord. We're not killing the praise the Lord niggers today. They won't care if you are a Democratic nigger or a Republican nigger. It won't make no difference. They won't care if you Michael Jordan and you can shoot 54 points, 66 points in a game, or if you Will Chamberlain and you can shoot 100. <clears throat> We're not killing the niggas who can make 100 points in the basketball game. As war escalates in this country, as the white man sees us as niggas, the color of our skin will be our uniform. And it will not be the ballot or the bullet. It will be the bullet or the bullet. It won't be a case 30 years later, as it was then, of the chickens coming home to roost, but a case of the chickens coming home to roast. Thank you. Assalamu alaikum. Hold your positions, brothers and sisters. For your position. How many of you understood? Be seated.
Be seated, please. How many of you understood what you heard? Let me see your hands. Hands down. How many of you believe what you heard to be the truth and good for black people? Let me see your hand. Let me see. I'm trying to do a survey here. How many of you don't know what the hell you believe? Let me see your hand. Might be somebody. Be honest. Brothers and sisters, if you have one or two questions with brother and uh, brother's permission, we could take one or two. Uh, Our esteemed cameraman who who is documenting who is documenting this uh, this evening and documenting this moment in history, the technician who is documenting it. What's your name, brother? I'm sorry? Brother Ra. All right. Brother Ra, uh, ask that if you have a question that you stand up to ask your question. Yes, sir. All right. Do you have baskets or buckets of some type? Brothers and sisters, as we do the questions, of, and it probably would be the best time as, as uh, was just brought to my attention because some may have to go. Um, I was just the other night at D&J Bookstore with Brother Salim, Brother David, and others over there and uh, flew in for these two engagements. I found out that Brother Kareem had pushed and twisted a few arms and did everything, from what I'm hearing, to make sure that they happened. And I flew in. Just the airfare alone was $400 to come here, and there are other expenses. So what we're asking is that you would uh, hold, hold, hold the buckets, and please, Brother, hold it. Just There you go. Thank you. He got it. He got it. We're asking that you would make uh, contributions at this time to help in a major and significant way. We're asking if there's anyone who will write a good check or give $100 or $50 as we get started. You can pull out your 50s also. If you've got good food stamps, I wish we could take those too. But anybody with $100 that they will donate, 100 or 50 or who will write a good check, Sister has her hand, and brother, what, what are your names, brother and sister? Uh, Kenyatta, brother Kenyatta, and sister, and his queen, uh, sister, sister Fulami. How much, sir? $50. Give him a strong black hand, brothers and sisters. Is there anyone else who, it would either be made out, uh, I guess it would be made out to me or cash, either one. might be easy to make it out to cash, if you don't mind because I'm all over and I, I don't know where I'll have to put it, okay? Is there anyone else who will donate 50 or or $100 or write a good check? 50 or or $100 or write a good check. I'm going to press you for a few minutes. How many checks do we have? How many 50s do we have? How many 100s do we have? While you're thinking about it, and some are getting your 25s out and your 30s and your 35s and your 10s and your 15s, Thirty years from now, forty years from now, many of us will remember this night. Some of the babies who are here will remember this night thirty, forty years from now. Everything we're doing right now is documented history. Documented history. What's that baby's name right there? What's the little one's name? Sister Kalina. Sister Kalina, and what's her name? And Sister Princess. What's your name, sir? Brother... Brother YG Omar, 
Where any other babies? Where are the other babies? Little ones here. That's, those are the main ones. Let's give them a strong black hand. And the other youth that are in this audience here tonight. How many questions do we have? Is this a question? One question? Two questions? Three questions? Four questions? Okay. Go right ahead, Brother Peace Allah. Dr. Khaled, peace. I appreciate peace. you and the work that you're doing. I know I am on expressing the very same views that a lot of people feel about you that are unfortunately some people are not here tonight, but we really appreciate what you're doing. My, uh, I'll let you to elaborate briefly on what, on what your feelings are based on, on the father that started the 5% Nation and what do you see the role of the 5% Nation in particular in New York? What, is, what do you feel our role should be as being a vanguard? It's a very good question. I appreciate your question. Let's give Brother Peace a lot of strong hand, strong black hand for his question. Uh, my feelings about uh, the father, Brother Clarence 13, who started the 5% Nation of Islam, and what do I feel is the role of the 5% Nation of Islam? First of all, I'm a 5%er. There's no way on earth I could be a 10%er. I'm not a blood sucker of the poor. I'm certainly not a poison animal eater. I'm not deaf, dumb, and blind. And I don't believe in no mystery God or no spook God. Uh, I know who the supreme being is. And my work is constantly struggling, striving, and straining, working double time, triple time, and overtime for the resurrection and rise of our people into a knowledge of self and into freedom and independence and the liberation and salvation of the black nation. I believe that the father, Brother Clarence 13X, was a man who was in many ways born out of due season and born ahead of his time. Born out of due season and born ahead of his time in this sense. I don't feel that over 30 years ago that much that he set in motion that is spread like wildfire now across the country. Some of it has struck and hit the hip-hop nation, and hit throughout and spreading throughout colleges and universities. There's no city, for the most part, that I can go to. And on many campuses where there is not some 5% representation, either on the campus or coming on a daily basis, building with the students on the campuses throughout. I believe that the controversy that rolls up around uh, Brother Clarence 13 were quite similar to controversies that rise up among those who have certain power and force with them and who, as I said, are ahead of their time uh, or who are in some cases anachronistic in every season. Um, his work is work that cannot be denied and it is my firm belief that as I said, there's a 5%, a 10%, and an 85% in everything. So by saying that, I'm not really, I'm not sciencing on you, but in the 5% nation of Islam, there's a 5%, a 10%, and an 85%. It may not be like the 10% and the 85% that's out in the world, but every organization, every nation, every movement, has a 5%, a 10%, and an 85%. It has a dedicated, a bourgeois, and the mass. It has a 5%, a 10%, and an 85%.
the nation of Islam has a 5% under Minister Farrakhan, has a 5%, a 10%, and an 85%. There are churches that have a 5%, a 10%, and an 85%. There are cultural nationalists, pan-Africanists, black nationalists, revolutionary nationalist organizations that have a 5%, a 10%, and an 85%. I'm making a case. I'm saying that when the 5% of the 5% nation of Islam Get with the 5% of the nation of Islam, with the 5% of the cultural nationalists, revolutionary nationalists, pan-Africanists, and the 5% among our people, when those 5%ers come together from the 5% and all of the organizations, those true 5%ers in every one of those different expressions of philosophy, ideology, and doctrine, when they come together, in my judgment, the white man has absolutely no chance whatsoever. Um, it's important for the 5% nation of Islam to rein in, to rein in 10 percenters who are in the 5% nation of Islam. Because 10 percenters can give the 5% a bad name all over the nation with certain lumping activity or certain activity that could be considered detrimental to the masses. The nation of Islam must rein in the, five per, the 10 percent of the nation of Islam that give the nation of Islam a bad name all over the country, in some cases all over the world. That must be done in every organization. But when all of those five percenters come together, from each of the organizations, including the 5% of the 5%, then that's a whole new dynamic and a new day for the resurrection of the black man and black woman. I believe that the 5% nation of Islam must do much more than it is doing. I believe that the, for the 5% nation of Islam to have supreme wisdom, for the 5% nation of Islam to travel on the high mental and spiritual plane that it travels on, that we have to see more godly activity manifest, willed into existence, and manifest from the 5% nation of Islam. We cannot rest on having supreme wisdom. We cannot rest on knowing more than the masses, the 85%, who are just direction followers and going in flux and confusion in many directions. We can't rest on that. If we have supreme wisdom, when we know better, we must show better. And there's certain activity that a Muslim, a Sunni Muslim, a Shiite Muslim, Ahmadiyya Muslim, black Muslims are what I'm talking about in all of those schools. Nation of Islam, if it's Silas Muhammad, Louis Farrakhan, uh, if it's uh, uh, John Muhammad, it makes no difference. And, and along with the 5% nation of Islam, when you say you are God, then God is not going to be found with a cigarette in his hand. God is too high. The Bible calls God the most high God. He's too high to stoop down for a cigarette. God is not going to deal with no cocaine. Don't make me no damn excuse for that. Black Muslim, nation of Islam, no matter which camp we come from, no matter what school we come from, black nationalists, pan-Africanists, cultural nationalists, revolutionary nationalists, don't make no damn excuse for being a nigger for the white man. 
If you are God and you're coming into that knowledge of God, as all of us are coming into that knowledge from the teachings of the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad and popularized by Minister Malcolm X, Brother Clarence 13, the father, and Minister Farrakhan and some others, as we now know that in all of these different groups, all of us are beginning to know that. When you God, you ain't got no cocaine. It's not no cocaine. You God, you ain't dealing with no rocks. You ain't got no rock. What God look like with a rock? What God look like dealing death to his people? That ain't no God. God making some little nasty, wrinkled, filthy, diseased money with some dead peck of wood president's picture on it. God is scuffling and grubbling and grubbing in the streets to sell dope so he can get some little nasty, filthy paper with some peck of wood's picture on it. And he God? No, that ain't God. No matter what set we come from, you know, that ain't God. And to go out and advance and play on our people and know that they don't know as much as we know and misuse them. You can't play on our people. And I ain't play a hate neither. I ain't trying to play a hate. But that's, that's, that's trying to be a player on our people. I don't care if it's Nation of Islam again, Sunni, black nationalist, Pan-Africanist, 5% nation of No. Those are the 10 percenters of all those groups. And so the five percenters of the five percent and the five percent of all the others have got to grab those ten percenters in each one of those organizations. And then you got 85 percent in the five percent nation of Islam and the five percent nation that ain't doing nothing. They just kill it. You got five percent, I mean, 85 percenters in the nation of Islam just chilling. Some have started believing in a mystery God. Start believing in a spook God after knowledge. That's in many of the camps and schools. Instead of believing that God, as our ancestors taught, is in our being and in us and emanates from us. And then no matter what name we call that God by, we're talking about the same power and force, the same netter, the same orisha. We're talking about the same power and force. Even in Christianity, each one of those disciples represents the twelve divine discipline system the 12 attributes of the psyche of the man or woman that's what each each one of those disciples means something Peter his name means something Simon Peter Andrew Bartholomew just like when we say when we say Asa Aset uh, uh, Ogun Oshun when, when we run through all of these uh, when we say Al-Rahman Al-Rahim or Al-Hakim these disciples all mean something. All of that. Each one of the religions has a system that plugs us into the God power that's within us. But we've got to act what we are. Again, when you know better, you must show better. You must do better and not be found wallowing and making excuses in the filth of the white man's world. That's my <laughs> humble opinion. In human society, of this thing that's called the state. What is the state? The state is this organized bureaucracy. It is the police department. It is the army, the navy. It is the prison system, the courts, and what have you. This is the state. It is a repressive organization. But the state and people, well, you know, you've got to have the police, because if there were no police, look at what you'd be doing to yourself. Yeah.
throw a Molotov cocktail at the precinct. You know how we think. Organize the hood under our chain banners. Red, black, and green instead of gang bandanas. FBI spying on us through the radio antennas. And I'm hitting cameras in the street like watching society. With no respect for the people's right to privacy. I'll take a slug for the cause like Huey P. While all you fake niggas try to copy Master P. I want to be free to live. Able to have what I need to live. Bring the power back to the street where the people live. We sick of working for crumbs and filling up the prisons. Dying over money and relying on religion for help. We do for self like ants in a colony. Organize the wealth into a socialist economy. A way of life based off the common needs. And all my comrades is ready. We just spreading the seed. Yeah, Live a third of his life in a jail cell Cause the world is controlled by the white male And the people don't never get justice And the women don't never get respected And the problems don't never get solved And the jobs don't never pay enough So the rent always be late Can you relate? No more bondage, no more political monsters, no more secret space launches. Government departments started it in the projects, material objects, thousands up in the closets. Could have been invested in the future for my comrades. Battle contacts, primitive weapons out in combat. Many never come back, pretty niggas be running with gas. Rather get shot in their back than fire back. We're tired of that. Corporations hiring blacks, denying the facts, exploiting us all over the map. That's why I write the shit I write in my rap. It's documented. I minute, every day of the week, I live in it, breathing it, it's more than just fucking believing it, I'm holding in ones, rolling up my sleeves and shit, it's the low for push-ups now, many headed for one conclusion, niggas ain't ready for revolution. Yeah, I've been blackmailed, live a third of his life in a jail cell, cause the world is controlled by the white male, and the people don't never get justice, and the women don't never get respected, and the problems don't never get solved. And the jobs don't never pay enough So the rent always be late Can you relate? We living in a police state begin to show and to demonstrate uh, how in fact uh, 
as a political activist, and uh, of course this history could be shared for most political activists, how in fact I came to, unlike, unlike most uh, people in America, begin to see the police apparatus in this country for what it is. Of course, like uh, most people in the United States of America in my early life, uh, I thought the uh, FBI were these good guys who went around and helped everybody. And I thought that they were supposed to be the guys who supported peace and all this nonsense. As a young man at Howard University, I went to work in the South with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee in Mississippi. And here I thought the legal basis for this work was clear. In fact, all we were trying to do as young students was to get our people the right to vote. Of course, while I may have been a little bit confused about the FBI, I was not certainly... Which one is it? Is it this one? While I... <laughs> while I uh, certainly was aware of the uh, racist and terroristic nature of the United States of America in relationship to Africans, I certainly had not understood the role of the FBI as an organized force of terrorism against my people. This realization would be dawn on, would dawn on me through hard and serious struggle. We said the legal basis for our work in the South was clear, according to the American Constitution, toilet paper. Here it was stated that every man, every woman had the right to vote. Of course, I know the history of my people in this country. I know that my people have never arrived at any position in this country, not even individual positions, without the shedding of blood in mass struggle. This point must be properly understood. It's only when understanding these points that you can come to see properly the real racist and terroristic nature of the FBI and the CIA. I say I know this, and this is clear, all of us knowing here, no one sitting this, in this room can deny any of the following statements I make. One, for Africans to sit in a lousy five and ten cent store where they want to be, they have to shed their blood. For Africans to ride on a bus, even though they pay the same amount of money as anybody else does, in order for them to sit where they want to sit, they have to shed their blood. For Africans to live anywhere in this country where they want to live, even if they have the economic capability of doing so, they have to shed their blood. For African students to attend universities just like any other student in this country, their people must shed their blood. In order for us to get the vote which everybody gets just like that, even the immigrant who can't even speak English coming here, we Africans, in order to get the vote, we must shed our blood. No one sitting in this audience can show me any example of advancement by the African masses in this country, even individual positions of advancement which have not been acquired at the price of the shedding of the blood of the masses of our people. Consequently, I was aware of this. I wasn't confused. Of course, the job of capitalism, but it lies all the time, not some of the time. Some people get confused. They think it lies some of the time. It lies all the time. Even when it tells the truth, it's a result of a double lie. It lies all the time. So if you're not careful, they will let you think that uh, 
Africans make progress like everybody else, and the way they write up the histories, he was the first doctor in this area, the first student of this university, the first this, and it makes it appear as if this individual, who's the first doctor or the first student, really worked hard and was special, unlike the rest of the masses of people, and that these qualifications were so much that they had to be granted the position. More lies. No African in this country has arrived at any individual position without the shedding of the blood of the masses of our people. Anytime you see a mayor anywhere in this country, you must know that that mayor arrived at that position only through the shedding of the blood of his people. Anytime you see a student at the University of Delaware, an African student, you must know that student occupies a seat only because of the shedding of the blood of the masses of the people. Of course, the logical conclusion must be clear. Since the people shed the blood for these positions, these positions do not belong to the individuals who occupy them. These positions belong only to the masses of the people. The political conclusions must also be clear. Anytime you use this position, which has been gained by the blood of the people, not for the people, but for yourself, for your own individual interests, you have already betrayed the blood of the people. This must be properly understood. Once again, this confusion arises because American capitalism tries to confuse us. You know, they will tell you that, oh, you want to hear Kwame Ture? Oh, that man, he was crazy in the 60s. He's crazier in the 90s. There's nothing wrong with that. Malcolm says, extreme conditions must have extreme solutions. And we are in certainly extreme conditions. <clears throat> they will tell you that that man, Kwame Ture, he's just uncompromising when he speaks. Everything is either white or black, hot or cold, wet or dry, that there is no middle ground, there is no gray area when he speaks. We are absolutely correct. I am a revolutionary and I speak of principles for which I am willing any time at the drop of a hat to shed my blood. And I will never compromise those principles to live, not me. Consequently, when I speak as a revolutionary, I speak of principles, and when one speaks of principles, there is no middle ground, there is no gray area, everything is hot or cold, wet or dry, black or white. There is no gray area, although some will try to create a gray area or a middle ground where it does not exist. You're students. Show me the middle ground. On a test, either you cheat or you do not cheat. Where's the middle ground? You're human beings. Tell me. When you recount a story, either you lie or you tell the truth. Where is the middle ground? You're human beings. You live in a world where people have religious beliefs. Either you believe in God or you do not. Where is the middle ground? And some might say we'll try to make middle ground. The other day a sister told me, well, I doubt God, but I still believe in him. Once you start doubting God, you have stopped believing in him. There is no middle ground where principles are concerned. This must be properly understood, especially for you as those who come to want to make a contribution to humanity, and especially to your people who are a part of suffering humanity. It must be clear here then that if your people are oppressed, Either you are for the people or you are against the people. There is no middle ground. This must be properly understood. We say everywhere the capitalist system will try to give you illogical reasoning to make you make middle ground. The other day when speaking to a brother, I said, my brother, our people are oppressing. Yeah, Brother Kwame, you're right. I said, our brother, our people are suffering everywhere. I know you're right. 
Brother, the government pushing drugs in our people, trying to confuse our youth to stop their rising militancy. I know you're right, brother. He's tried to cause all cause of confusion. The police themselves are arming youth in our, in our communities to bring gang wars, to carry out their drug wars for them. He said, I know you're right, Brother Kwame. I said, brother, you have to come and help the people. He said, well, I can't help them right now, Russell, really? He said, but, uh, Brother Kwame, I'm not against the people. I said, you're not. He said, I don't do nothing against them. I'm not working for the FBI. You know, sure, I ain't helping them, but I ain't against them. I said, you're against them. If your people are oppressed, and you are not involved in the struggle to liberate your people, by your very act of inaction, you are against your people. <laughs> this point must be properly underscored. If your mother is being raped and you have the ability to stop the rape and you put your hands behind your back and say, I ain't in this, you're against your mother. If your people are being exploited and you refuse to lift a finger to help exploit your people, you are against your people and you've actively joined the side of the enemy. When we speak of principles here, we say there is no gray area and the choice is clear. That is to say, if any of you sitting here who are Africans have never done anything for your people, you've been against your people. Let that be properly understood. Clearly, the contradictory logical statement is correct. Only we will free us, true or false. And if we do not work to free us, who will work to free us? The enemy? Consequently, the points must be properly understood. I said in my early days in Mississippi, I went there thinking that we stood on legal grounds. Now, I must tell you one thing, I was not confused. The confusion and the contradiction which existed between Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, I was always on the side of Malcolm X. If you would trace quickly the history, now I know one thing, I know when I say things that you should know, I know you don't know because I know you love King, but you don't study King, but <laughs> just like you love your people, you don't study them, but you love King anyway. <laughs> anyway, Martin Luther King had a feeling in the very beginning of his struggles that the federal government was on the side of the poor African masses. And furthermore, he insisted that our job was just to bring out the racism in the South. And once the federal government saw how racist the attitude was, they themselves would come and solve the problem. Malcolm X used to say, the federal government is your biggest enemy. He said, the federal government can send troops to Korea to fight for democracy and have racist pigs in Georgia lynch you and do nothing about it. Malcolm X was clear. Martin Luther King himself came to the same position that Malcolm X did. If you would look at the end of his campaign, the Poor People's Campaign was directed against the federal government. Consequently, one of the great things about Martin Luther King and Malcolm X was the ability to grow and to learn from their errors and to publicly demonstrate this growth and this correction of errors before the masses of our people. So from the very beginning, I knew the federal government was never on my side. I knew they could not be on my side. I was not confused, nor was I confused about the Democratic Party, which had at the same time in it a Kennedy and an Eastland. I knew that Kennedy would not sacrifice Eastland for me. And I never thought that could be possible. Consequently, for me, Kennedy was just like Eastland, another racist pig talking sweet honey. So there was no confusion here. But at least I thought somehow I couldn't have consumed that the FBI themselves would be involved. But as we got more and more into work, we were told, and I certainly as a sneak field secretary had many problems with this, that every time there's an incident of burning or shooting or looting or killing or terrorism, that the FBI should be called in the local area of the South. I'll give you clear examples. As a young man, I could say that I cut my teeth in organizing in Greenwood, Mississippi. 
Greenwood, Mississippi is a Delta state, Delta town, and as racist as you can get, full of Ku Klux Klan, white citizens, FBI, police, all of them just shooting us for fun. I was told by the SNCC representatives, by my SNCC superiors, that whenever there was incident, you should go to Greenwood, Mississippi, go to the FBI and make them come and make reports. When I would go into the city hall in Greenwood to get the FBI, I would find them in the office of the police chief just chewing tobacco and swapping jokes about us. This FBI agent would now be forced to leave there, come with me and go make up a report, and all he would do would make up a report. Of course, I never trusted the FBI. I just thought that they would do their job. But in the early days, the FBI made it clear to us. I'll give you one clear example, historical. In the southern part of the state of Mississippi, there was an African there by the name of Herbert Lee, a strong man, a determined man, a man full of consciousness, who recognized that rather than be a slave, he would fight to be free. And Mr. Lee had contacted us and told us to come. He wanted to do some work in the south in the movement there. One of our SNCC superiors, on error, contacted the FBI and told them, well, there's this man, Mr. Herbert Lee, down there. We want to do some work with it. And the FBI gave his name to the local police chief, and Mr. Lee was assassinated within 48 hours. After that, nobody in SNCC looked at the FBI for anything except a chance to shoot these pigs down. We said the FBI gave the information. But the SNCC superiors kept insisting that we call the FBI. Once, when an incident aroused where there was some burning of a house and some brutal, brutal terrorism, normal life in Mississippi for Africans, the SNCC people called me and said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm not going to do nothing. I'm going to get me some guns, organize our people, and we're going for blood. Said, oh, well, before you do that, you need to get the FBI. The FBI for what? Well, we need to get these for what? Well, we know they don't do anything, but we need to get these reports because we're going to sue the FBI for not doing their work, and these reports will help us. Well, I'm an organizer, and I'm a disciplined organizer. I've understood all my life, because all my life I have been in organization, all my life, so I have organizational discipline, something that the overwhelming majority of the masses of my people lack. They simply lack organizational discipline because they've never belonged to any organization. Of course, organizational discipline is necessary. Its first necessity is to inform the individual that there's something more important than he or she, the organization and the principles for which it stands. This is necessary in a country like America, where all aspects of individuality is blown completely out of proportion. Where an African will even tell you, work for my people, what do they do for me? They ain't never did nothing for me. Do they pay my bills? I'm out here for me and me alone. Don't nobody help me and I don't need them. Uh, America's a backward country. <laughs> it doesn't make you stupid, it makes you arrogant in your stupidity. <laughs> here it is screaming, oh, this is backward. All of us sitting here knows that an individual human being isolated from the human species is totally incapable of making any contribution to life. These are biological facts. If you take a kitten the minute it's born before it opens its eyes, you take a dog or puppy before it's born, before, before it opens its eyes when it's born, if you throw both of them in the woods isolated by themselves, they will go to their fullest animal potential. The dog will walk on all four, he will bark, as soon as he finds a bone, he will love it. The cat will meow, and the cat will chase mice as soon as he finds them. 
But if you take a child, a human being, the minute he or she is born, without opening their eyes and put them in their woods, isolated by themselves, if they live, if they live, they will never arrive at their fullest human potential. It is questioned whether or not the child will walk. Certainly the child will not talk. And it is clear the child will be able to make no contribution to the society. We push the point one, we push the argument one point further, again sticking clearly within the clave of the logics of the statement. We continue to say that a human being isolated from the human species is more stupid than any other animal isolated from its species. Take the same kitten, take the same puppy, take the same child, as soon as they're born, without their eyes open, throw them to live with monkeys. The dog will walk like a dog, bark like a dog, and love bones. The cat will meow like a cat, walk like a cat, and love mice. The child will walk like a monkey, talk like a monkey, eat monkey food, and try to make a contribution to monkey culture. <laughs> the statement then is clear, crystal clear. So that we can smash quickly all of these nonsensical ideas of individuality. The individual is dependent upon the masses of the people for everything. Consequently, the individual must consume themselves to the desires, the struggles, and the aspirations of the masses of the people. This is clear. For the Africans, it is even more clear. We say without the slightest hesitation, any African who rises above the masses of his people have only done so by stepping upon their heads. As a matter of fact, any man trying to pull himself up above the people is a stupid man. It's only when the people rise that you can rise. We state all these things for you to see precisely the concept in which we're working. We're talking about these pigs, the FBI. Martin Luther King had a great deal of trust in the FBI. I remember having great discussions with Dr. King about the FBI. Dr. King, they're punks, chumps. No, you know, there are constraints here about jobs, uh, Kwame, and uh, they really do their best. And uh, while it's sometimes hard, we uh, can be sure that uh, in the final analysis, their reports will have an effect. Dr. King had great faith in them. Did you know the FBI was tapping Dr. King's phone? <laughs> I knew they were tapping mine. That's understood. <laughs> I've never hid my hatred for them nor my contempt nor my desire to destroy them. Not in all my life, not now. As a matter of fact, the older I am, the more determined I become to destroy these pigs. Consequently, that they should try to destroy me is only automatic. Indeed, the great son of Africa, Ahmed Sekoutouré says, if the enemy is not doing anything against you, you are not doing anything. Right. Of course. But if the FBI ain't doing something against me, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> if the enemy is not haunting me, there's something wrong. Because I'm hunting the enemy. I'm hunting to kill him because he's messing with my people. You mess with my people, I kill you. Just as quick as that, without even blinking an eye. Matter of fact, I kill you before God gets the news. <laughs> no question about it. No question about it. So that I understood the FBI should even stick itself. I understood the FBI would follow us. Our policies were quite more revolutionary than Martin Luther King. But would you think that they would tap the phones of Martin Luther King? What is surprising. Uh, not too long ago, I speak to a young brother. He said, hey man, ain't you afraid they won't kill you? What makes you think they're not going to get you before they get me? <laughs> Matter of fact, this has them getting you before they get me. It's more because I'm alert. I know they're trying to get me. <laughs> you think they ain't bugging your phone, but I ain't doing nothing. And... No. The FBI knows 
that I came out of the same conditions that you live in. The FBI know I'm no different from you. <laughs> so the FBI is not afraid of me because of who I am. They're afraid of me because of who you are. <laughs> me by myself, I can't do anything. But us together, why, we can burn 260 sissies in America in a weekend. <laughs> in a weekend. <laughs> yes. So some people think that the FBI only taps the phones of people who are working for the people. You make a big mistake. I will tell you from my travels throughout the world, from my research throughout the world, that the American people are more followed by their government authorities than any people in the world, starting with those in the old Soviet Union. Matter of fact, just your credit card company knows more about you than the government agencies know about its people in other countries. <laughs> yeah, the American people are totally followed. But they think that the FBI only follows those who the FBI deem to be a threat to the status quo. You make a big mistake. A great big mistake. This is a mistake the king made. Not only did these pigs tap King's phone, but hear me well, they even did these yes, listen, the FBI. Such pigs they will get into your bedroom to cause trouble between you and your wife. You say you love King. Any man in America who tells me they love King must hate the FBI. You can't love God and love the devil at the same time. It's like loving the dollar and loving your people at the same time. I love the people, but I want to make some money. When I make some money, I also help the people. All right. <laughs> I know the line. <laughs> I know the line. And as soon as they start making money, they forget about the people. I understand it. It's logical. <laughs> because you can't make money and help the people. If you want to help the people, there's no money involved here. The only thing involved here is death. Torture and pain. That's all, Jack. The reward is in the doing. You want money? You can't mess with your people. <laughs> you want money? You can't mess with the liberation of people. If you want money, you've got to bow down to the laws of capitalism. And the first law is that in order for America to remain rich, Africans must be exploited. That's the first law. So we're not confused here. I've never wanted to make money in my life. Make money. What can I do with it, Jack? <laughs> Never, no. With anyone who truly loves King must hate the FBI. You know what the FBI did to King? They used to take tapes where he was in other rooms and take these tapes and send them to his wife so she could listen to them. You know what they used to do to me, these pigs, when I was a young man working in Mississippi? They would call my mother at 3 o'clock in the morning and tell her, We got your son. We're going to kill him. We're going to lynch him. Yeah. Oh, they wouldn't even tell me about it. It's my sister's room. You know they call it 3 o'clock? Who? She said the Ku Klux Klan. I said it ain't the Ku Klux Klan. It's the FBI. It's the pigs, the FBI. And sure enough, I told my mother, I said, listen, you know, you can cuss nicely. So when they call you 3 o'clock in the morning, you should say some sweet things about J. Edgar Hoover. <laughs> because the capitalist system has cut off our history, they think that we have no history. They really think that our history began in slavery. If you will look at all textbooks in this country, even on the college level, history textbooks, there's nothing said about Africa in these textbooks at all. I mean, Africa is just left out. Like, it doesn't exist at all. Just like our history. That's most Africans who do not take time as a conscious people to come to understand their history, in fact, begin their history when the white man came and discovered us as slaves. Certainly, the indigenous people of this country think that their history began with Columbus, they would be in serious trouble. 
They, who probably know their history, know that the indigenous people of this country raised civilizations, the heights of which European powers have not yet arrived at. Consequently, these people have this to hold on to, and they know as long as they hold on to it and fight, they will come back to the grandeur that was once theirs. No people can begin their history in slavery. No people. God has never created anybody in slavery. All people are first created free, then they are enslaved. So that any African beginning their history in the United States of America is a stupid African beginning their history in slavery. And if you begin your history in slavery, the best you can hope to be is a good slave. Indeed, if you begin your origins in slavery, where is the inspiration to fight? A people who were enslaved must know at one time they were free. It is only when they know at one time they were free that they will be motivated by the responsibility which history imposes upon them to struggle to be free again. Any African wanting to know about their history and using their history as a weapon to fight must begin their history in Africa. There's no other place. It was only in Africa that we were free. Thus it is in Africa that we must begin our history. Once we see in Africa how we were free, then we will come to see who imposed slavery upon us. We will come to know directly who is the enemy, what must be done to return to a stage of freedom again. Thus in the struggle for liberation, Africa is indispensable to us as our historical weapon. 